0: What midterm elections could mean for healthcare today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. On today's episode, we're breaking down the potential effects of the midterm elections on healthcare policy. Longtime listeners will be happy, I'm sure, to hear from our friend, Chad Mulvaney from the California Hospital Association. We're also excited to introduce HFMA's newest policy director, Andrew Donahue. Here's HFMA senior editor, Nick Hutt, to kick off the conversation.
1: Thanks, Erica. And everybody, if you're looking for insight on the healthcare policy implications of the midterm elections, you've come to the right place because you're gonna hear from two experts, we'll tell you pretty much everything you need to know. First, we have Andrew Donahue, who's a new healthcare finance policy director with HFMA. Andrew, welcome. And uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, Nick, thanks for having me. I've been excited to be here. I'm a long-term listener. I'm new to the HFMA team. I started my career as a health policy advisor on Capitol Hill. I did that for a number of years and then wanted to, to get down to the grassroots level. And so I worked in senior financial operations roles across the Southeast for for for-profit systems and not-for-profit. Came back to HFMA just because I love the policy and advocacy side of things. I think we are entering one of the most disruptive eras in human history and and certainly for the healthcare industry. So
1: I really like to be involved in that conversation and look forward to it today. Excellent. And then we also have Chad Mulvaney, who was a longtime HFMA policy director and a Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast stalwart before leaving us for the California Hospital Association, where he's now vice president for federal policy. So, Chad, welcome back to the podcast.
3: Thank you, Nick. Appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and Andrew. And certainly there's a lot going on in D.C. now that impacts hospitals and couldn't think of a better crew to unpack it with than you and Andrew. So looking forward to our discussion.
1: Super. Likewise. And uh, just to set the stage, we know that Republicans won a slim majority in the House of Representatives. Democrats maintained a slim majority in the Senate. As of this recording, we don't know the final numbers in either chamber. But regardless, we're looking at a very closely divided Congress over the next two years. But Chad, before we look too far down the road to the 118th Congress, there are some key issues that have to be settled during the last month or so of the 117th, right?
3: Uh, there certainly are. And the one thing I will say is it's Friday, November 18th, as is, is we're recording this what i would say is as nick alluded to there's a lot of dust that still needs to be settled so the the crystal balls still are probably a little hazy but in terms of what i expect out of the lame duck at a minimum you know some type of budget bill has to be passed by december 16th and certainly conventional wisdom is that something will get passed and while all end of year sessions are frantic trying to wrap up the budget in any unfinished business before the holidays this lame duck could be particularly spicy given we're looking at divided government for the next Congress. And so there's a sense in DC that this may be the best opportunity for many items on a lot of people's wish lists, not just the healthcare sector to move for a while. So, you know, in terms of outcomes, while there's a lot of things on the agenda, there's maybe a bit of a traffic jam occurring with some of the leadership shakeouts. And then also just the number of things that people want to get into a year end bill.
1: So thanks for the rundown, Chad. What are the most urgent priorities for hospitals and health systems at this point? Yeah, there
3: there are a couple of them, and I think it's kind of a, a long list. You know, at the macro level, as I said, I think we get a 2023 budget deal done before the end of this Congress. So it takes the risk of a shutdown off the table. And I do think that's important because in the next Congress, in some corners, there may be a little bit more willingness to use government funding to extract policy concessions related to spending, which could possibly target Medicare, and we'll have to certainly watch for that. If we do get a budget deal done, as we expect in the lame duck, I expect a couple of things to be included in it. The first thing would be stopping the 4% PAYGO cuts to Medicare, and this is the side effect of the American Rescue Plan, and the PAYGO cuts are required by 2020 budget rules, which require lawmakers to offset the cost of legislation. And certainly, given the the current environment that a lot of HFMA's members are facing, if a 4% cut went into effect on Medicare payments, it would be absolutely devastating. So I think it's safe to say that this gets kicked down the road at least for a year. Also, pretty high on the list of things that I think gets done will be an extension of the Medicare-dependent hospital and the low-volume adjustment programs. Extension currently runs through the 16th. I think similar to the PAYGO cuts, this also gets done. And then I think the third thing that will absolutely be included in there is some type of fix for physician reimbursement. Unfortunately, we are now back to partying like it's 2009 again, given that this is sort of analogous to the SGR in a way. And right now, physicians are facing a four and a half percent across the board cut. What I'm hearing and seeing in the trade press is that Congress is considering reducing that cut by anywhere between two and three percent. There are a couple of other things that are in the cards as well. I mean, certainly there's a lot of talk about a debt limit suspension until after the 2024 elections. Again, because in the new Congress, there may be some elements that would be interested in extracting Medicare or other entitlement cuts to increase the debt limit. I think there's a risk that if this doesn't get done, we could find ourselves in another situation where we're looking at Medicare cuts. So that's certainly something that people are interested in doing. However, I don't know how much time there is and whether the votes actually exist to, to get that done. Also important to positions and folks in value-based payment models would be an extension of the 5% advanced alternative payment model participation bonus, which expires at the end of this year. My understanding is that the Senate Finance Committee staff are pushing to include it. However, the hangup like everything in D.C. is money. And so to make the budgetary math work on this, The extension may be shorter than people like, or it may be a little bit more limited than what we would like. But at this point, you know, something is better than nothing. One of the other things that I think is pretty prominent on people's list is a a two-year extension of telehealth. And as I was thinking about this discussion, this was certainly one of the things that I would have put in the will happen bucket. However, given that we're likely going to get another extension of the PHE, which is currently scheduled to end in January I think that maybe Congress might be willing to take a pause on this given that, you know, we'll get another 90 days at the end of this PHE plus another 150 from what's already in statute. And so while this enjoys bipartisan support, I think without sort of a little bit more pressure on Congress from a time crunch standpoint and the other competing priorities, this one may get kicked down the road. And then I think we'll also probably see Medicare advantage prior author reform. You know, this could also end up riding, especially if, EMS can get a rule out on prior author form, which would then lower the CBO score on this. And then those are sort of the the big ticket items. There are a couple of other items that are also on the wish list that I know a number of stakeholders are pursuing, that us included, an additional safety net payment for hospitals. Um, And there are a couple of different models floating around that would provide much needed additional funds to safety net hospitals. You know, we've certainly seen with what's happened with Atlanta Medical Center in Georgia and other hospital closures, These hospitals are now at risk, placing patients and communities at risk. So that's something we're certainly pushing for. Also, a a Medicare temporary per diem or add-on for administrative days. We're hearing from our members and I know folks across the country are having a hard time getting patients discharged to post-acute care settings due to a lack of staff and also due to prior auth issues with MA. And so that's certainly an ask that's on the table. It's also much needed. That's pretty much the the, the, the panoply of options that are out there.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that. Just a ton of great information and important items to keep an eye on over the next uh, month before we get to 2023. So turning to you, Andrew, this past Congress, the, the one that's just wrapping up, passed one sort of marquee healthcare item in the Inflation Reduction Act. What do you think could possibly be accomplished during the upcoming Congress in terms of issues that relate to providers? With the 118th, we're looking at the
2: next two years. That's January 2023 through January 2025. And two years feels like a lot of time, but it's not as many legislative business days as you think, and particularly in the run-up to a 2024 election cycle that's at least contentious from what we can see. So it's going to be hard to push significant health policy reform through in general, just for time. But there are two other realities that I, I want to bring up. And the first is kind of the political reality for Republicans. You know, healthcare policy has really kind of fallen out of favor with Republicans since 2018, Um, we all remember that's when they were pushing the repeal and replace of Obamacare. And that that really failed and backfired for them in that election cycle. And they've kind of just left the issue off their agenda. McCarthy, he did establish a task force on healthcare called Healthy Future. And there was the Republican commitment to America, which was kind of the GOP's policy blueprint for healthcare in a Republican controlled house. But those are really scant on details. They kind of boil down to transparency, competition, health savings account, a little bit more of telemedicine, which is promising. But generally speaking, there's kind of a lack of focus for Republicans, and that's going to be exacerbated in the 118th Congress by an overwhelming incentive to politicize um, a lot of the oversight responsibilities that they'll have in the House. And that's not you know a judgmental statement. It's just a political reality. So we really expect a lot of the committee and Republican focus on the House side to be aggressive oversight of the first two years of the Biden administration. So we're gonna do a lot of look backs. We're gonna look at COVID. What were the origins of the virus? How did the Biden administration respond with the PHG? Where did all the dollars go? And for our members, really with the PRF funding, we really want them to, to really stay on top of their reporting right now and some of the audit requirements that may be coming. Gonna be a lot of scrutiny on you know, say school policies, how Biden responded to that with, you know, child nutrition regulations, relief money that went to the schools, lost learning from school closures. So that that kind of realm is where we see a lot of the focus. Also, the Affordable Care Act family glitch fix. Um, Spouses, independent children of employees weren't able to get the equivalent coverage that that others were. And how the Biden administration fixed that is going to be a focus. Um, Republicans take issue with using executive action to contradict law. Um. Also, inf- implementation of Medicare drug negotiations. The Inflation Reduction Act, as we all know, that's substantial reforms to our ability to negotiate with the pharmaceutical industry. Republicans are going to really want to scrutinize how Democrats evolve that because they have so many... It's really open-ended. You know, initially, it's a small list of drugs, and then it can grow over time, and it's the agencies that'll grow that. So Republicans are going to push back on that and highlight the harms to drug research. So in the House, it's going to be more of an offensive strategy. In the Senate, I think we're going to see a lot more defense. And that's because they're not in control of the committee agenda. They've already lost control of the Senate. And so from Republican senators, they're really looking at their electoral map in 2024, and, and they're excited. They see a lot of opportunity, and they see a lot of vulnerable Democrats that are going to be up for a reelection, like the Joe Mansions and the Kristen Cinemas and so they're going to really want to put them on the spot and make them very uncomfortable. So it's just going to be throwing a lot of sand in the legislative gears. Um so that's kind of the republican political reality. What can democrats do in response to that? Um I think there's a lot of pragmatism and awareness that the legislative shop is is a little bit closed for business. Biden's probably going to shift a lot of the resources and focus to the regulatory agenda and the executive powers that he holds. You know, for a long time, healthcare has been central to the political agenda for Democrats. So not only in the past two years with Biden, but for the decade before that, we had a lot of action that agencies now have to implement. A lot of laws that were put into place, and they've bitten off a lot. And so there's a lot that these agencies need to chew. And I think Secretary Becerra said it the best with HHS, you know, finally, we can concentrate on trying to execute everything Congress gave us to do. And so that's kind of where Biden's going to be looking to score his points in the run up to the 2024 election is is making his case in the regulatory side of things. So again, drug pricing, IRA implementation, interoperability and prior authorization that Chad mentioned, price transparency, good faith estimate provisions in the No Surprises Act, advanced DOBs, PHE flexibilities, and then just kind of the traditional stuff: the annual payment rules, IPPS, OPPS, PFS. We're going to have the next cycle of Medicare Advantage and Part D payment policy rules rolling out soon. Updates to Medicaid managed care policies, cancer moonshot, the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health—all these are kind of pet projects of Biden that he really think he can define his agenda on. Um, and then health equity across CMS programs and models. So I'm, I'm going to pause there because I, I want Chad to to chip in a little bit on what he thinks and the tea leaves he's seeing, but you know, it's going to be a little bit of a gridlock Congress. No, and
3: Andrew, I agree
2: exactly with,
3: you know, everything that you've said in terms of gridlock makes sense to me. It's certainly what the tea leaves that I'm reading as well. And I think you alluded to it in your, your comments about the, the, the shift towards regulatory focus and really the, the administration sort of driving the health policy agenda or being one of the predominant drivers. You know, I think one of the things that we'll see additional, maybe increased focus on coming out of CMS is looking at payment reform and alternative payment models. Certainly, CMS has the goal of getting 100% of Medicare beneficiaries in some type of total cost of care APM by 2030. Not a lot of shopping days when you start to think about the work that's going to be done. And I know that CMS and CMMI are now thinking long and hard about different models to get the specialists engaged in some type of total cost of care model beyond the, the standard sort of portfolio of bundle payments that we have now. You know, I think you're, you're absolutely right about particularly price transparency in terms of oversight. You know, we we saw the letter from the leaders of the House Energy and Commerce Committee asking GAO to investigate hospital compliance. So I think that, you know, we're going to see a report that comes out of that in the coming months uh, once that work is wrapped up. And certainly I would anticipate that it's going to be picked up on the trade press. And I do think you're right. I think also the No Surprises Act implementation across the board is going to come under congressional committee scrutiny, definitely in the House and possibly in the Senate as well.
2: That's something Chad will want to watch. But you said something that triggered a thought in my mind, and that was talking about CMMI and really advancing the value based care agenda. And you and I know we've been having this conversation in the industry for over a decade of having one foot in both canoes. And that metaphor is getting a little tiring, but it's something I'm watching and I'm concerned about. So I want to get your take on it is, you know, eventually with Medicare, we're going to have. To get a little bit more creative with the solutions to slow down spending, you know, side of care shifts, value based care movement, pushing the age out a little bit. These are things that I don't really think are going to bend the cost curve down. And I think we're going to start to look at more painful cuts, you know, cuts to providers, more aggressive measures with drug pricing, changes to Medicare Advantage. I mean, MA is getting so big that we can't avoid it anymore. But where I'm really concerned is is the scrutiny coming on hospitals. You know, we're a huge piece of the spending pie, maybe 30%. And if you compare that to drugs, for instance, let's say it's eight percent of the pie, we've kind of taken drugs off the table with the IRA and, and Medicare drug pricing, at least for a little while. So if we are going to need to push to take cost out, I think hospitals are coming next. When I just read the newspapers and in Wall Street Journal yesterday the articles said, hospitals often don't help needy patients, even those who qualify. And I know there's a release in North Carolina, a lot of scrutiny over not-for-profit health systems making a margin on Medicare patients. Now, Whether or not that was analyzed correctly is open to debate, but the scrutiny is really intensifying. Medical debt was on the Arizona state ballot. You mentioned price transparency, No Surprises Act. We've got questionable debt collection practices are being discussed. So kind of the hero sheen with hospitals seems to be wearing off a little bit. And I was looking at some of the bills that being considered, you know, in McCarthy's Republican Healthcare Task Force, I said earlier, it was scant on details, but there was a proposal in it. And McCarthy gave Representative Sparks the nod to pursue this, to really crack down on higher costs at physician offices owned by hospitals. She also developed a bill that she's going to, try to provide more power over anti-competitive behaviors with hospitals, giving the FTC more rights to pursue that. And um, she's breaking these bills apart so they can be slipped in to larger packages. She's not coming up with some comprehensive solution. And that concerns me. And in the Senate, you see Senators Tammy Baldwin, Democrat, and Mike Braun, Republican. They've got this bipartisan measure targeting anti-competitive provisions of contracts between health insurers and hospitals. So I guess... What I'm asking you, Chad, is just that the climate seems to be moving against hospitals in a way I haven't seen. I mean, are you feeling that seeing that?
3: You know, unfortunately, I think you are right. The halo effect from COVID and all the really great slash heroic work that hospitals and the folks that work there did to save communities has really unfortunately come off. It didn't last anywhere near as long as it should have. And, you know, While hospitals are 30% of the Medicare spend, I think the challenge is that, you know, if you look at hospitals' Medicare margins and the percentage of patients treated by hospitals that are on Medicare, I mean, yes, they could cut hospital payments, but I think you're going to risk seeing a number of hospitals go bankrupt. I mean, certainly, even without significant cuts, just with inadequate growth rates on inpatient rates, on outpatient rates, you're already seeing hospitals struggle. And certainly some of the ones that are are more focused in safety net areas or in rural areas are really struggling financially. Um, So it's going to be a really sticky wicket for Congress to have, or really a challenging balance that Congress to solve. On the consumerism issues, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think there is a higher heightened sensitivity to that. And I think we could continue to see more pressure on that. And I think a lot of that will come through the No Surprises Act um and then the last piece consolidation yeah i think you're absolutely right i think that there will be more emphasis on mergers i think we'll continue to see a very aggressive ftc going out and challenging mergers in markets which is also unfortunate because in a lot of instances you know the mergers do end up improving quality improving outcomes for patients helping patients access services that they may not have been able to get in their communities and also you know just given some of the challenges that some hospitals are facing financially you know they're going to need a partner to help with capital needs they're going to have need a partner to help sustain operations and think about how you ensure that there is some care delivery system in a community that can't can't support it at this time so it's again all very delicate things that if congress rushes in and takes a an aggressive and maybe not as thoughtful approach they could do real harm
1: all right well so this has just been a fantastic discussion my one big takeaway is that there are just a ton of things to watch for And uh, we'll certainly be doing that over the next month and during the lame duck Congress and during the next couple of years. So thank you both, uh, Andrew and Chad, great stuff. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is the Director of Content Strategy. Our president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. The third report in this year's healthcare twenty thirty series is out now. It's called Realigning Care and Coverage, and it's available at HFMA.org. And if you want to talk to our team, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at hfma.org.
1: So let's delete my, my last sentence.